This is Log Talk Radio. Okay, almost uh, overran the beginning again. This is Port of Harlem Talk Radio, and I'm your host for this show and also publisher of Port of Harlem Magazine at portofharlem.net. If you're listening via the Internet, you can type your questions in the comment box. You can also call and listen by dialing on your phone, 516-531-9540. And if you want to ask a question after you are connected, press 1, and please be in a quiet place. You can also visit portofharlem.net and click Port of Harlem Talk Radio from the menu to hear this and past episodes. We are also available on about seven podcast platforms. And lastly, We Talk Productions sponsors Port of Harlem Talk Radio. Our guest today is Ron James Jr., and he is here largely to unravel the importance of Kentonji Brown Jackson and Candace Jackson Akiwumi appointments and the future of the United States Supreme Court. James, our guest, is a graduate of Yale University and Duke University School of Law. He's a former D.C. Assistant Attorney General and has practiced law for two decades in Washington, D.C., he is also the author of three books. One is called Root and Branch, Charles Hamilton Houston, Thurgood Marshall and the Struggle to End Segregation, The Double V, How Wars Protests and Harry and Truman Desegregated America's Military, and finally, The Truman Court Law and the Limits of Loyalty. Welcome, Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much, very much for having me, Wayne. Yeah, and I hope that you really help us understand uh, what's going on and hopefully the importance of these appointments or the lack of importance, whatever we end up getting to. But my first question to you is, um, what makes President Biden's appointment of Kentonji Brown Jackson to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia so monumental? The Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia is um, the the most simple and accurate way to put it is it's the second most important federal court in the United States. And this is because uh, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals um, reviews the closest controversies um, among the federal agencies and many of the controversies of um, individuals and organizations suing the United States government. Um, many in, in any given term, many of the most important cases that reach the court um, have been previously decided at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Even whether or not the Supreme Court decides to accept those cases, those cases have been argued at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. So it truly is a very important um, court that is really getting um, renewed attention um, with the uh, nomination and uh, confirmation of Judge Brown Jackson. So you're saying that all courts are not equal. All court of appeals are not equal. They are um, in their power to resolve cases. What makes the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals different is the is its jurisdiction, the kind of cases that end up there. And so that uh, so it, its power is the same, but the cases that those judges review. Um, tend to be cases that affect a larger segment of the United States population, often uh, can affect the entire United States uh, population um, as we're dealing with cases involving the entire federal government. 
And so um, then their, 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 their power of appellate review is the same, but um, the cases that, that they are reviewing are, um, tend to be of, of large significance. So it's the impact of the court itself that gives her uh, more power or makes her appointment more impactful. Um, that will be coming uh, through the front door um, or what make uh, every judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals um, an, an important judge. Um, you know, all, all the Article Three judges, their lifetime appointments, and they have even at the federal district level, as we often see um, when they halt presidential orders. Um, the Article Three judges are e- extremely powerful in our in our system of government, the way we operate it today, and um, they all have a great deal of power um, at the at the appellate level. Though the, the cases that come to the D.C. Circuit um, tend to be ones that affect. Uh, a larger number of uh, all of us American citizens. The other little word you said in there that I called on to, and hopefully you, you will take time to explain that to stretch that out a little bit more, is that you said when the appellate court from D.C. gets a case that's more impactful than, say, the other appellate courts, that they may make a decision and a Supreme Court let, let it stand. So in effect, it makes a decision for the Supreme Court. Yes, that is true. And that happens, to uh, to be sure, um, the Supreme Court accepts a very small percentage of the cases that are appealed to the Supreme Court. It requires um, four uh, four justices, the vote of four justices are required um, for the court to accept the case, to grant certain... You're talking about the Supreme Court, you're talking about the Supreme Court, you're talking about four justices on the Supreme Court for the Supreme Court to accept a case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll be more clear. Yes, but four justices of the Supreme Court must vote to grant certiorari or review um, to hear a case. And um, most, the vast majority of cases that are appealed to the Supreme Court are not granted certiorari for a whole host of reasons. Um, and, you know, uh, those of us, many of us here in Washington especially, tend to look at the tea leaves and try to figure out why, you know, this uh, certain case uh, was not. Uh, granted certiorari when, when we thought that it would be. Um, but when they, there are some standard, I, I wouldn't call them rules, but customs um, that lend uh, um, cases to Supreme Court review. And the big one is if there's what we call a split in the circuits. So if we, if the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals rules one way on something and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals out in California um, and on the West Coast rules a different way and they have two very different opinions, and then let's say the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in the Midwest, where Judge Candace Jackson Akiwumi um, has just been confirmed, if that comes in and kind of takes one side and not the other, then often then attorneys will go to the Supreme Court and say, if the issue is significant enough, that justices, you need to come in and decide what the law is here. Wow. So it's much more complex than just having a a, uh, a court case on Perry Mason or any other new court case show. Oh, all right. It's a little bit more complicated. That's right. That's right. Okay. And, and and a great a great deal of the court's power is in its ability to deny hearing cases. Um, Congress granted um, the court that power to uh, determine much of its own docket um, early in the. Uh, 20th century, in the, early in the last century, and that is one of um, the most important um, powers that the court has uh, to decide what it is going to decide. 
Right. So is the appointment of Candace, you just mentioned the other lady too, Candace Jackson Akawumi, uh, is her appointment to the United States Circuit Judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Court uh, in Chicago, is that in the same league as uh, Brown Jackson's appointment? It is um, entirely on par. They are they are it, it, it's kind of they are exactly equal in rank um, according to the Constitution and according to the law. Um, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals is um, uh, I mean, all the circuits are important, but the Seventh Circuit is uh, an, an interesting circuit um, and, and carries a uh, uh, carries a, a great deal of influence because it is not as clearly. Uh, historically, it's not been as clearly ideologically bound as some of the other circuits have been. So, for example, the Ninth Circuit, which um, uh, the previous president enjoyed talking about so much, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, tends to lean um, toward the left on questions of the law. Um, the Fourth Circuit, which is in uh, North Carolina, Virginia, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in Louisiana and Texas, um, they tend, generally speaking, to lean more toward the right. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, historically speaking, well, yeah, I'm speaking over a period of, of generations here, um, generally has kind of been uh, uh, in the middle, literally in the country and in the ideology. And so um, uh, attorneys often look to the Seventh Circuit and other judges look to the Seventh Circuit opinions uh, as well to uh, uh, read them very closely. It, it, is, um, it is an influential court uh, in no small part because of that reason. That is so deep. So what makes – so can you explain to me the foul by the board? Why would we have, I guess, these different circuit courts, they're equal technically – but they come out and have different personalities. Uh, yes, their personalities reflect um, the um, the jurisdiction um, where they where the bench sits, and so um, the you know the the um, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals is is in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin, and that's a very different jurisdiction than California, Oregon, and Washington State. Um, so if you've got the senators from those states in a room, um, you'd have, a, you know, different opinions. If you've got just random people at a gas station, they likely would have different opinions about things. And so I, it's part of how we allow our Article Three judges who are appointed for life, um, once confirmed by the Senate, it's part of how we allow them uh, and force them in some way, compel them to represent um, the, the jurisdictions uh, in which they reside. Wow, that's just significant. Uh, when we post such information on Facebook, such as what we hope to do here and uh, hopefully in the article in Port of Harlem, I sometimes baffled at a few readers who respond as if President Biden is somehow expected to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court right now. What do you say to such people about the process and traditions that we just discussed when it comes to filling the Supreme Court and the appointment of Brown Jackson? to uh, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia? I see that almost as as two parts. First is just the process and that it has been um, some long time since um, a president has nominated someone to the court who has not been either a judge 
or been the Solicitor General of the United States. And the Solicitor General is the attorney who represents the Department of Justice before the Supreme Court. Um, so, for example, Justice Elena Kagan was the Solicitor General. And before that, she was the Charles Hamilton Houston um, Chair, Professor at Harvard Law School, and then later the Dean of Harvard Law School. Um, it has been some time since a president has reached out and picked someone who had not had uh, had judicial experience or been this uh, solicitor general to jump directly to the Supreme Court. So there is a bit of process um, in this, and it's just a matter of expectation, what each generation expects, and this is what we expect, even if the person goes to um, a circuit court of appeals just for a cup of coffee. I mean, uh, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas was nominated to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and it was just about by the time he unpacked all his books in his office, uh, he's called the Kennebone Court, Maine, to be nominated for the uh, to be Supreme Court Justice. Um, so there is a bit of process that, um, you know, that, that generally is followed right now. And the process changes through generations, but where we are right now, um, someone is not going to come from private practice. It would be hard pressed. I'd say the nomination would be hard pressed to get through for someone to come from private practice straight through to um, being on the court. Now, of course, someone would say, well, what about um, uh, uh, Chief, Chief Justice Roberts? But he's a, kind of a, a, a different it's, it's, it's a different thing, and he did do his, his time not just not just on the bench, but also in the um, administration as well of uh, President Reagan. Um, the second point, if I may, of your question got to um, Biden and his pledge during the campaign to nominate a an African American woman to the Supreme Court, um, and he was largely praised for doing this. Um, my Opinion is if, if I, and I understand why he did it, not just the political um, ramifications of it. It's a political move. He's in campaign season um, trying to get votes, and the most reliable Democratic voters are African-American women, and he needed them to turn out. But my concern is that it does an eventual disservice to the nominees, and that when one reviews the um, resume of um, – Judge Candace Jackson Akawumi and Judge uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. I, and I've I, I reviewed both their, their um, uh, um, presentations to the Senate where they have to present their papers, their resumes. It's a big 50 page um, dossier that they have to present to the Senate, and it's the public, public documents. Their records are impeccable. The records are absolutely impeccable. And so they could have um, been nominated. What my, my, my concern is that individuals, particularly those who would be predisposed to think this anyway, would believe that um, President Biden picked the best black women he could find. When, if one examines their records, he's looking at some of the best attorneys in the United States of America. Regardless, going regardless all the way of race back or to sex. law school, regardless yeah. of race, regardless he, 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 of gender. Right. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's concerning. I mean, if, if one even looks at um, their their uh, their time in, in law review, Harvard Law Review, Yale Law Review, um, the law firms at which they worked, or both of them, absolutely top notch law firms. Their clerkships, everything is absolutely impeccable. They could stand up to anyone who's currently on the Supreme Court, and certainly stand up to anyone who's currently in the uh, federal appellate bench. So I, 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 I might. And to put it on the flip side, the previous president, for example, I don't think the previous president considered any black women 
to be on uh, to be nominated to the federal bench. But he didn't say I'm going to look at uh, Caucasians because that's just what I'm going to do. He picked and they said, oh, these are the best people. I think Biden could have achieved, achieved the same result. And a more apropos example, um, if I may, just very quickly, President Reagan. When President Reagan picked um, Judge Antonin Scalia, who was then a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in 1986, President Reagan wanted to nominate the first Italian-American to the Supreme Court of the United States. Catholic voters at the time were still a Democratic bloc, but because of the abortion issue were becoming in play. They were coming into play, and he knew that he could get this and that he could get Senator Kennedy to, to support Scalia because Senator Kennedy needed the Italian-American votes in Massachusetts. President Reagan did not make a show of nominating an Italian-American or only considering Italian-Americans. He nominated Judge Scalia. Everyone agreed that the judge was superbly qualified, and Judge Scalia was confirmed 98-0 to zero to the Supreme Court. And I think President Biden could have done the exact same thing here without making a show of it in the campaign, particularly a show that may have a detrimental effect in the future. I got you. So you just said he wish, you wish that he had been quiet and not had made that a, a campaign promise that he would have selected a black woman to the Supreme Court or that he wanted to. Or that he wanted to. Correct. And just say, I'm going to consider everybody. And that everybody has not been considered by previous presidents. I will consider everybody to the court. Because I think But I guess sometimes people don't hear And and in my opinion You know as a publisher Oftentimes even our own readers God bless them much as I love them Because they are our readers Is that sometimes you have to be very clear That you're saying B-L-A-C-K <laughs> Otherwise they may not hear the word for They just mm-hmm. won't hear it And that's one of the things I hope that we do In this conversation is, is to further explain Hopefully, why uh, her nomination is significant. You know, people might think she's just another judge, but what I'm hearing from you, she she is a good judge, regardless of all of the demographics. But he specifically placed her in a position to rise to the Supreme Court. Is that correct? Um, th- yes, it is, and I think that's a double-ended sword, um, which. Um, it, it, when, when one gets placed on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, um, that judge can often end up with a political target on his or her back. Um, and that's the other thing I, I, I have concern about, um, even though she, as she just took the bench, you know, um, a couple weeks ago. Um, I like that, Doctor. You said you said that she probably have a target on her back. But I think the lady, I can't think of her name off my head, who just uh, took a position at Howard, Instead of the UNC, I think she said she. I think she would say she had a target on her back since so she was the second grade. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yes, I read that. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, uh, so I'm like, uh, have a target on your back. Black. Have a target on your back. Comes with being black in the United States. <laughs> right. I understand, but but what I mean more specifically is though is is that one remembers with George uh, just very briefly George W. Bush nominated uh, nominated Miguel Estrada, um, outstanding um, attorney. Uh, who I, I do not agree with his legal philosophy at all, but an absolutely outstanding attorney with impeccable credentials, nominated him to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And uh, Senators Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid blocked it. They completely mm-hmm. blocked it, would not allow his, him to come up to a vote because they knew that if Mr. Estrada got onto the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, President Bush was going to nominate him to the Supreme Court, and he'd be the first Latino um, Supreme Court justice, and Democrats would not be able to block that. 
And so yeah. that, that DC Circuit Court of Appeals, that that that's what I mean. That it 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 has a it brings such a high profile. Right. So I guess Biden is fulfilling his uh, at least he's on the path of fulfilling his um, his campaign promise. Absolutely, with two standing choices, with, uh, their 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 credentials are unassailable. Okay, well, let's move on a little bit to uh, your other book on Harry Truman, because you wrote two books on Harry Truman. So what is it about Harry Truman that attracts you to his administration? He's um, such a, a um, fascinating figure, personally and uh, politically, in that, you know, he, he um, uh, did not attend college uh, and, went, and went, went straight to war. And then was you know thrust into being president of the president of the United States after being vice president for just a few weeks, um, and then ended up being one of the most consequential presidents that we had. Uh, I think that, that we've had in American history, certainly that we had during the uh, 20th century. Um, and also, I, I I enjoy researching and writing about Harry Truman um, because I after. I've researched for years and years now. I'm pretty sure that if I were alive at that time, I, I don't think I would have voted for him. Uh, and I, I think I, I likely would have voted for, for uh, Wendell Wilkie. Um, and I think that allows me to have a bit of a, of a, of a, of a distance um, from, from the subject and at least try. I, I try to present the reader with uh, an honest assessment of uh, the administration and the president and um, the justices he appointed to the Supreme Court. Okay, and how uh, how has Trump's I mean Trump's how has uh, Truman's court appointments affected Black lives? Well, President Truman was the first president to um, do what we now expect all of our presidents to do, and that is to use um, the Department of Justice and use the, the Supreme Court on offense, not just on defense. So every president up to President Roosevelt had defended their policies in the Supreme Court. And, you know, Roosevelt with the court packing and that whole uh, mess that ensued. President Truman was the first president to go on offense, and he did so because he realized that his civil rights agenda would get nowhere in Congress, which the Senate was controlled by the Southern segregationists. So he empowered his and charged his Department of Justice with working with the NAACP to pursue that agenda through the courts. And with three nominations to the court and three justices and one Supreme Court justice, four total nominations to the court, he was able to achieve a great deal and became uh, the cases consolidated as Brown versus Board of Education. Oh, okay. See, I never heard that story before. I never knew him as being so significant with black people, but I knew he was significant. But that's uh, another avenue to explore. So how has Trump's court, court how has Trump's court appointments affected Black Lives so far, in your opinion? So far, it, the the voting rights case is is really the um, the big blow. It uh, at, at this point, it appears it appears to me that they that they under um, the Chief Justice's leadership. Um, have rendered, and if they haven't rendered it, they seem intent on rendering um, the Voting Rights Act a dead letter. Um, and to be fair, that began before they got there, but it's, it is really something to see so-called conservative justices disregard the express will of Congress, which is not a conservative viewpoint. That's a right-wing viewpoint. That's not conservative. That's why it irks me so much. They have the, oh, the conservative justice, conservative justice. It's not conservative to overturn the express will of Congress twice. And that's what they've done with the Voting Rights Act cases, and it, it really is uh, unfortunate. So what's the distinction between conservative and right-wing? 
Um, I believe that uh, the chief justice is a is a true conservative, despite his votes for the Voting Rights Act. Um, I believe he is a true conservative. I think the best contrast would be with Justice Clarence Thomas, um, who is at least very honest, and he calls out his um, he calls out his fellow justices when they try to do it um, through the side door. He's very honest in wanting to overturn opinions with which he disagrees. He's very honest with his willingness, sometimes eagerness, to disregard the will of Congress um, because he has his ideas about what the law should be. And the conservative principles of stare decisis and the conservative principle of um, deferring to the uh, elected branches of government don't seem to concern him or at least impede his uh, thought process. And so that's what I'd say is, is the difference. I think Justice Thomas is, is uh, more of a right-wing um, justice trying to push the court to a certain place um, as opposed to wanting to move gradually. Hmm, okay. I guess the, the distinction I have to ponder on, but I, I'm getting there. I, I pretty much see what you're saying. But um, and hopefully our listeners are pondering these issues too. We'll see. You also wrote another book about Charles Hamilton Houston and Thurgood Marshall and the struggle to end segregation. Houston is lesser known. Can you share a few words about him and his relationship with Thurgood Marshall? Well, Charles Hamilton Houston was um, just a, an absolutely brilliant man. At his time, he was the uh, most highly educated African-American lawyer in, uh, in American history. He was, uh, he was the first um, editor-in-chief of the Harvard um, Law Review. And, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, he was the first African-American um, member of the Harvard Law Review. President Obama was the first uh, uh, editor-in-chief of it. Um, but um, Charles Hamilton Houston later became the dean of Howard Law School and then became the first uh, counsel for the NAACP. And he was the architect for the um, legal movement to end segregation. He laid out the path of how to achieve um, desegregation because, as you know, the law moves slowly, and they had to get precedent. They had to pick their cases. They had to pick the states. They had to pick the circuits where they would appeal these cases. And Thurgood Marshall was his um, most prized student, was his best student, whom he later, later hired to work at the NAACP, and um, Marshall later took over for him at the NAACP. But Charles Hamilton Houston was uh, just a, a bedrock of American uh, society who literally worked himself to death um, and um, uh, working on behalf of, of um, the legal fight to end segregation and did not live to see the day of uh, the Brown versus Board of Education um, decision. But um, he, he really is a, a, a pillar who deserves more more recognition. I, I tried to do that with uh, Root and Branch. Yeah, and I appreciate that, B, and I appreciate your conversation up to this point and hopefully in the future too, but up to this point because you, to me what I'm getting out of this conversation is that when you go and apply the law, you just don't jump out the window, that you really have to think about not only what the law says, but what court you're going to, how the court's made up, who the politicians are who are appointing the court, the judges, et cetera. That's right. There's a, there's a way to do it. The reason um, that the Obama the reason that Obamacare survived this time, even getting the vote of Justice Thomas, is that the court the uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the plaintiffs did not have standing, so they could not prove any injury. If you have not been harmed, you cannot sue in the United States. This is not it's not a classroom; it's a courtroom, and you have to have an injury for redress. 
And that's part of what Thurgood Marshall did when he brought in the, um, many people know the famous dolls that were used in the Brown versus Board of Education trials. And even though it was so controversial among the, the attorneys, many of them did not want to use these dolls and, you know, were, were angry about it. But, but um, Thurgood Marshall said, I have to show injury. I have to show how the children are harmed, and I don't know how else to do that. If you know how to show that these kids are harmed in a way different than these dolls, I'm all ears. But until then, we're bringing the dolls. Okay. And that's, that's a good detail. That's a very mm-hmm. good detail. Interesting. Okay, we have 90 seconds left. And as the beginning of July, Biden has nominated or announced his intent to nominate 30 jurists to the federal bench. 23, about 77% of those nominees are women, and 17, about 57% are women of color, according to an analysis done by Demand Justice. What do you expect to happen next? Well, I've been pleased with the way that the, um, the nominations have been moving through the Senate. I've been um, surprised and pleased. The votes are, you know, closer than I think they should be, but uh, I think both parties are a bit to blame to that. You know, 53 to 40 for um, Jackson Akawumi. Um, so th- it's you know it's closer than it should be. But I've been I've been pleasantly surprised with the fact that the White House is getting the nominations out. They've got their people vetted, and the Senate is actually taking them up for um, for votes. And I think that's uh, I think it's good. It's nice to see the government functioning in that way. And you expect it to continue to function in this way. It uh, looks perhaps until there's a uh, Supreme Court nomination. Okay. Then all bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Juan, James, I want to thank you so much for your time, and we hope to share this on Facebook and hope to make this into a story. And we hope and we hope that our readers and listeners share this so that people have a greater understanding of the system. Thanks again for your time. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Wayne. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Take care now.